0: Mark chapter 8, and then we will be looking at verses 22 to 33 this morning. Um, as everybody's getting settled, just want to make you aware that uh, every, at the first Sunday of every month, our deacons and myself, we get together, and our, it's our joy to be able to come alongside all of you to provide a strategy of care we want to make sure that everybody is uh, not only the spiritual needs are being met as best we can but also the any physical needs that may be coming up and i have noticed that it all seems to come in bunches that whenever there's uh, hospital visits or whatever it's it, it's never very, it's never spread out it's usually there's not much going on for about 3 or 4 months and then boom we have a we have a month that is just filled up with it so we want to come alongside you, and there's a, there's a verse in James, it's, in J, it's at the end of James chapter 5, where it talks about that if there's any of you that are sick, let them call the elders. Uh, let, let them call the people that are in place to be able to come alongside you and help and care and pray. That's why God has brought us here. So please just keep us in mind. Use that connection card, whatever it is, just let us know. Smoke signal, carrier pigeon, let us know about ways that we can come alongside and be able to help. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand as we honor his word. Mark chapter 8, again, starting in verse 22 and going to verse 33. This is the word of the Lord. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I I see people, but they are like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others, Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So every so often I try, when I I ask you, I urge you, as you're reading the Bible, to not simply read it as a historical book, but to read it with an understanding that You are there in the story. And I've been saying that over and over, and it occurred to me, I I, I remembered where I first heard that principle of reading the Scriptures that way. And one of the, it was back in 1995, 96, and I was the new guy, so they decided to put me as the associational music director. They needed some fresh blood, or they were desperate. I don't really know. Either way, I'm put in this position. And it was a three-year term, and so one, one of the things that we would do, we would have an annual meeting at these associational things. And if you're not familiar with Baptist Life, associational meetings, it's basically where in the area we have these churches, uh, these Baptist churches that get together uh, voluntarily, and they voluntarily cooperate with one another, and, uh, and we end up meeting together for one of those particular uh, annual pieces of annual meeting. And so we got there, and there was a gentleman that some of you may know who he is, some of you may not, a gentleman named Robert Smith, African-American preacher, and he is one of the most dynamic preachers that I have ever heard in my entire life. He's teaching now at Beeson Divinity School in, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, but at the time he was at Southern Seminary, which was very close to where we were in Kentucky. And he started preaching. And that's, and he kept saying over and over every time he would approach someone in this story. I am here in this story. I can't do it. I can't do that. But he, I mean, he did it over and over. I am here. Every, he, and he would start talking about that. And you know, that leaves an impression. That Because, and it drilled down something, and it really got me out of, because I had been in church my whole life, and I had been listening to sermons my whole life, and I pretty much had gotten to, even by the time I was in my 20s, to to know the Bible fairly well, but I think I was catching myself reading the Bible as if it was a history book. Well, isn't that nice that this guy was able to have his sight restored? Isn't that nice that Peter got it right for a change? Isn't that a shame that Peter got it so right at the beginning, just just a few sentences ago, a few seconds ago, and then all of a sudden now he's messing it up again? Isn't that a shame? And so one of the things that we have to look at is we are here in this story. Uh, King Solomon, when he wrote Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes one nine, he says, "What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new what under the sun." So now we've changed technologically. We've changed very quickly technologically. We may have even changed philosophically and politically. I would say we have done that very quickly in our country. Um, we we, we may have changed medically. We have changed industrially. We are constantly changing, 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 changing. But what doesn't change? The heart of man. The heart of people. We are still sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. We are still under the wages of sin, which is death. That hasn't changed. And so when we, we end up looking at this, we, we look at what is going on with this blind man, and we're like, well, I'm hearing that story. I, I see myself there. If you begin to have eyes to see and ears to hear, you know, who do people say that I am? Well, there was probably a time in my life when I was trying to figure out who Jesus was because I was having everybody tell me everywhere about everything that Jesus was, and some of it was based upon what was in the Bible, and some of it was based upon what Grandma said or what Uncle Bob may have said around the fire or, or what I saw on Twitter Help us, heaven, if we saw it on Twitter or we see it on Facebook or something like that because that's just a free-for-all because you're able to put whatever you want. There's no editing. You can just put whatever you want, and everybody pontificates about what they think and who they think Jesus is and what he has done and what do you do. Or you may have been rebuked. You may have been, had someone come along. You may have had you know been reading the Scriptures, and you've been feeling something there, and you're like, wow, I, I get that. I get what... That's going on with Peter right now. Boy, I really blew that one. We're here in this story. We're here all over the Bible. But thankfully, so is the Lord. He knows exactly where we are, the same God that was there. Then Jesus Christ is the same. Hebrews 13 8. What is it? Jesus Christ is the same, what? Yesterday, today, forever. He doesn't change. Our souls don't change in their need for Christ. So let's, let's take a look here, and we see that there's three questions that are asked. The type of conversation that Jesus, Jesus has with all, there's three questions that are asked, and then there's one rebuke, but those questions and that rebuke is good for us. Look, take a look. Number one. Number one is a question of clarity. A question of clarity. And the question that's being asked there, and it's real easy to jump out if you have a Bible that has red letter edition. Um be careful it's all the word of god it's all equally the word of god sometimes we think well the red letters mean more no it's all the same holy spirit being used the triune god is all speaking the word but it is good for us to see okay this is where jesus is speaking here and the question that he asked this man who with with the eyes born that were not born blind but blind was do you see anything and that's a question for us what what are you seeing as far as how you are putting your life Together, what are, what, what, what is in your path? What do you think is the way that you're looking at? This is the way that I think that I should go. And is it the right way to go? Are you looking at the right thing? So, Jesus here, it says that he returns to Bethsaida. And Bethsaida is not really well thought of when Jesus begins to talk in Luke 13 and 14. He starts issuing these woes. And woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Because Bethsaida was very very rebellious and resistant to being able to hear the gospel you know I'm, I'm wondering if there would ever be a time woe to you denver woe to you atlanta bible belt woe to you dallas bible belt if the things that had been said in tehran had been said to you tehran would have been more likely because there's a lot of lot of the holy spirit is moving in iran right now In amazing, amazing ways, and so the spirit is going over there. But yet we call ourselves a Christian country, and yet our cities don't want to have anything to do with them. We we got we got to look at this. We're we're here. We're here in this passage. But it says that you know when Jesus brought to him uh, uh, friends were doing it again, bringing to him a blind man, begged him to touch him, and whereas Jesus one time when the other one that was having an issue, basically took him aside and was dealing with him personally. Well, here, took him all the way out of the village. I'm going to deal with you one-to-one. Took him all the way out of the village. I'm sorry we're getting ready to eat, but I'm just reporting the news about what's being said is that Jesus spit on his eyes, not spit in his hand. Spit on his eyes. I'm sorry. Reporting the news. That's there. But then it says, "But that was the idea back then. Was that the, the these fluids were actually had supernatural power? That was the understanding back then. And so I think Jesus was doing that to give this guy a little bit of confidence, not to gross him out, but to give him a little bit of confidence here. And he laid his hands on him. And do you see anything? And he says, "Well, I see men walking around like trees, showing he wasn't born blind. He knew what trees looked like." So I see this, and then he does it again, and all of a sudden, boom. And some of you, you may be at step number one with Jesus. You see a little bit of him. You get a little bit of understanding about him, but I'm not quite. He's not done with you. He's going to come back around, I believe, and he's going to give you eyes to see to where the clarity of all that Jesus did on your behalf Now you think, well, I've been in church my whole life. Well, of course my eyes are clear. Really? Well, the the test is Monday through Saturday. How are you treating people? How are you treating your spouse? How are you treating those that are close to you? How do you you react when things go wrong? Well, if you have that clarity, then you're going to be able to react to those things a little bit differently because you're going to remember the cross and you remember all that Jesus went through for you. And so you're not going to get so upset with a hangnail. You're not going to get so upset when someone cuts you off in traffic. You're not going to get so upset because I remember what Jesus did for me, and that's what had to happen for me. I will be a conduit of grace to others. Is it easy? Of course not. But we get to that step number one. I don't quite see things clearly, but Jesus is going to keep working. And some of you may have been coming to church for a long time, and one day, I think I mentioned this a number of years ago where this guy comes in, came in. He had been going to church for 30 years and finally he received Christ and someone asked him, what changed? And he said this, I kept hearing the gospel and I heard the gospel and I heard the gospel and praise God one day I heard the gospel. What? The second, gratitude where we are so thankful that God gave us eyes to see. It's not something we could work and affect on our own. Jesus was telling him not to enter into the village because he didn't want people to come to him as simply like a soothsayer or some sort of healer exclusively. Jesus had more in mind than just healing people. And we've got to be careful of some of these ministries where it's like, well, if I'm going through something hard, then I've got to make sure that I, that's a bad thing. Listen, when you see that Jesus suffered on your behalf, That means the suffering can have a purpose in your life. And by you wanting it gone, you may be missing out on what God is taking you through, that valley of the shadow of death. So be careful when we're dealing with this. So Jesus is coming along, and he is reminding us over and over of what needs to be going on here. So that's the first one is making sure that we have clarity. Number two, it's a question of context. Missiologists talk about this all the time, context, meaning that we are to take the gospel to everybody, right? But if I were to take the gospel to rural Kentucky, that I would probably end up, that would be a different context than I would be urban Denver, or it would be in Point Fort and Trinidad and Tobago, or it would be in the rainforests of the Amazon. So God has given us one gospel to take to many, many different contexts, but it's good for us because Jesus is reminding the disciples, and I think he's amping them up, and I think he's getting them ready because he's going to be leaving them, and so the spirit is going to overtake them, and he's going to be—they're going to be sent to the to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he's getting them ready to be, begin thinking about this—not just how they're thinking about Jesus, but what are other people saying about Jesus. It's important. So he goes in verse 27, here's the other question, and Jesus went on with his disciples into the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now there's another question coming later, and you know it, but who do you say that I am? That's, that's the question, but he's, at, he's backing it up. Who do people say that I am? What, what in this context are people talking about when it comes to when it comes to Jesus. Well, so they said John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was, we see in Scripture, and if you know a little anything about the Old Testament, that Elijah uh, was one of the great prophets in the Old Testament. And, and Elijah had a, had a preaching ministry that was going on. And, and John the Baptist looked a lot and came in the spirit and power of Elijah, as it says in Luke seventeen, Dressed like him, ate the, ate the locusts and wild honey. I mean, good protein Diet. May not be everybody's cup of tea, but that's what he did. And but uh, but John did no miracles, so obviously Jesus is not John the Baptist. Jeremiah, if you remember, if you know anything about Jeremiah, Jeremiah had a very rough ministry. He only had two converts. Some said he only had one. Only had none. But but he had a couple of converts. But by and large, his ministry was difficult, and so he was known as the weeping prophet. And Jesus in in Isaiah 53, it talks about how Jesus is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was He was in the world, and you know I I think a lot of times we we want to see Jesus as this happy-go-lucky, skipping through the meadows type of hey guy, you're doing great. But one of these things that we're look we have to look at with Jesus is that He was seeing the afflictions and the addictions and the issues and the and everything that was just assailing His creation. That was not how he made it. He made it to where we were supposed to be in full fellowship with him. That was what was going on in the Garden of Eden. And how long it took to go from creation to snake, 15 minutes, 45 minutes, a day and a half, however long. It wasn't that long. And then all of a sudden now that fellowship was broken. And therefore we became broken. We became subject to death. We became subject to our own desires rather than the desires of God. And suddenly, now this world is just thrown into this chaos. And everybody's trying to figure it out on their own. And everybody's it's just, it's just a first class, grade A galactic mess that we are in. And Jeremiah. He spent a lot of time in ministry calling people to repentance like Jesus did. Warren Wiersbe described it well. Both men were misunderstood and rejected by their own people. Both condemned condemned the false religious leaders and the hypocritical worship in the temple. And both were persecuted by the authorities. So we see how Jesus is being portrayed in our day. Just go on to Twitter, type in Jesus, and buckle up. Because what they will tell you is is that you know Jesus is um, a great teacher, very wise. He's loving. He's open. He's affirming. He will take you just as you are because he loves you just as you are. Besides, and, and that's true. But that's not the end of the sentence. He loves you enough to take you where you need to be, and that's that's the rub. Is because even those who have a a residue of Christianity like the Mormons, they believe that Satan and Jesus were brothers. Or like the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that Jesus is the incarnate archangel Michael. And they don't believe that he is fully God. They don't believe that he saves by grace. They don't believe that he rose from the dead. So all of these things that are going on, we have to be vigilant and understand that if people are trying to claim, everybody wants Jesus on their side. Everybody wants Jesus on their side, but if they don't believe the truths about what Jesus has revealed from his own mouth, then why, then why are they trying to reconstruct him? Because we're talking about deconstruction. What's happening is they're trying to deconstruct Jesus in order to reconstruct him to where he is in their image rather than the other way around. We need to be conformed into, into his there's lots of people that have a lot of things to do with Jesus. Actually, I said that everybody wants Jesus on their side. I was actually, when I had hair, I was at Great Clips. I would go, I did have hair, fine, whatever. But, I, but when I went to Great Clips about six, seven, eight years ago, and there was this lady that I was, I was talking to, it was a different Great Clips, and, and, and she was talking to me, and she was telling me about all that she believed. It did not line up with what I believed. And so I was trying to find some connective tissue. And I asked her, I said, well, what do you all do with Jesus? And her response was not much. So that so we have to see that there are people that don't really want to have anything to do with Jesus, and that's where it's important for us to understand. So I was watching this video, um, Tim Keller. I have a high regard for him. And, he, and one, of the guys, one of the things he's doing is a cultural center of apologetics. And one of the things that he, he put out a video, and I remember going to Pizza Hut or Pizza Inn, you may remember this in the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, and, and you go there and you would have a little paper placemat, right? Paper placemat, what was on the other side? Games. You know, you un, undo this word and see how many words you can make out of these letters, now, that sounds like school. Connect the dots. That was my speed. And so that's what we did. One, two, three, made a picture. And what happens is, is that when we try, when most of us grew up, I'm, I'm going to date myself, so bear with me, those of you that are under 40. We grew up to where there, all we had to do was simply connect the dots, People believed in a moral law. They believed in, a, in moral absolutes. They believed that there was an overarching right and wrong, that, that truth was not, obje- was not subjective. It was not based about what you think. Oprah keeps saying, your truth, your truth, your... No, there is, we believed that there was a truth, and for about a thousand years we believed that. We believed that we were in need of forgiveness. We believed that we were sinners before a holy God. We believed in a holy God. We believed in life after death. Now, all we had to do when I was a kid, teenager, 20s, dipping my toe into the 30s, all we had to do is connect the dots. Well, now what happens if those dots aren't there? That's where we are. Who do do you say Jesus is? You might actually have people come up to you and say, who? Who is this Jesus you're talking about? I don't know who he is. Then what will you do? There's no dots to connect. And so we had to make sure, we have to make sure that when we understand, you know, who who do people say that I am, we have some sort of answer ready to be able to drill down. And we're going to help you with that, to be able to drill down and help them understand that that Jesus is so different because where everybody else is saying, you got to work your way up, Jesus came down to bring us up. We couldn't work our way there. Right? But then you're like, oh, that's, that's not like moral law, moral absolutes. What are you talking about? We've got our work cut out for us. But I believe that's where the reliance on the Holy Spirit to be able to help us along will be critical as revival hits ARBC. Moving along, number three, a question of commitment. All right, so now we have one question. Who who do people say that I am? Okay? Great. Thank you for letting me know. That's good to know what people are saying. That's good for you to know who people are saying. But who do you say that I am? And what happened here is that Peter said something. Peter said something right. Hey, we better mark this down. I know every so often when I, I was one, I was a little kid and my, my my brother was 13 years older than me. My sister was 14 years older than me. I had older parents. And whenever I said something right, everybody would be like, well, how about that? <laughs> you did it. Good job. Really good for the self-esteem, by the way, but we, we, we press on. But it was like, you know, when, when, we, when we look at this, it's like Peter finally gets it right. And if you go over to uh, Matthew 16, there's a parallel passage that gives a little more. And, and Jesus is like, blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, bar, son of. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you by my Father who is in heaven. And I think part of Peter was saying, good. And on the inside, he's like, oh man, I thought I got it right on my own. But I didn't. See, what happened was, is that God the Father was the one that revealed it to Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But in reality, we're in this passage, all truth like that. We have to be ready. God has to change our hearts in order to be able to receive truth like that. That, and when and we and that and that's okay. Have you ever played Marco Polo? Fun game, fun game. So if you if you don't know what Marco Polo is, you you blindfold yourself, or if you're a man of high integrity, you close your eyes really tight. But you close your eyes, you blindfold, and what do you do? You say Marco, and then what do they do? Polo, and then you're like whatever. Now they never stand still, do they? they keep moving. You know, you finally get over there, Marco, Polo, Marco, and you're spending all this time. And I think sometimes that's how people think it is with God, is that when you're trying to find, you're trying to find Jesus, and it's up to you, and he's up in heaven yelling Polo while you're yelling Marco, and he keeps moving. That's not what happens. Jesus is the Marco and the Polo. He will tell you, not, he he wants you to call out to him, but he's also the one that brings you to him. And so that's where we have to realize is that he is there. He will give you the truth you need, just like he gave Peter. We're in this passage. He gives it to us. We understand you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. How, how precious it is to know that God does not try to pull a fast one on us. He tells us where he is. But he also, by his spirit, brings us to where we need to be. He doesn't leave us by ourselves. All we have some but some of you are like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna work it out on your own. That is a fool's errand. Trust in what he is doing. He is the Marco. He is the polo. He finds us. Praise God for that. Now we get into this, and we talked about this first Sunday in, in uh, January. I know you remember that well. I know you remember that like, like it was yesterday feels like yesterday but uh, we actually talked a little bit about this but there's a good overlap here because Peter got it right He was feeling so good oh man and then we see that he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again four things going on here that Jesus suffer many things rejected killed rise again I have had conversations with people where i've i 've given them like uh, you know you try to soften bad news and you know you tell them all sorts of good stuff and then they hear the bad stuff and all they focus on is the bad stuff and don 't hear the good stuff and that 's something that all of us really need to be sure that we're 're we 're hearing everything that Jesus is saying and there 's a rebuke here. Now, Jesus, what has Jesus done? If we were to list everything that Jesus has done to Mark, well, he's healed people. He's raised people from the dead. He he didn't back down to the religious leaders. I mean, he was everything you would ever hope a Messiah would be. He was everything that that we knew that the Messiah had been prophesied. We knew he was there, and he can conquer anything. So why in the world... Is Jesus now coming up and saying, you know what, I'm going to suffer a bunch of stuff and I'm going to be rejected by the leaders and I'm going to be killed. If you were able to do all of that over here and overcome all of that, then what in the world are you talking about here? Jesus, I think you're having a bad day here. I don't think, I don't think that you have thought things through. And all of us have been in class where there's been a professor in there for 30 years, and there's a first year, first semester, first week student that's been in there, and all of a sudden the professor says something, and that first year, first semester, first week student's like, nope, that's not right. My uncle told me something five years ago. You see what happens? We get to a point where we get so overconfident that we think we can start telling God how he should operate. Be careful. And so Peter takes Jesus aside. Now he doesn't want everybody, he didn't want the other 11 to hear this. So he takes Jesus aside. Hey, Jesus, what's it say here? Um, Begin to rebuke him. And then what did Jesus do? So he's looking, he's having this conversation with Peter. And what does it say? And turning to the rest of the disciples. Because if Peter was saying it, the others were probably thinking it. Because we all have those folks that are very type A, and they're going to say something immediately, right? You give them an open opportunity, boom, fine, do it. But they're probably saying what somebody else is saying too, or somebody else is thinking. And he says this, get behind me, Peter. Oh, wait a minute. That's not what my Bible says. Is that what your Bible says? Did Jesus get this wrong too? Oh, Jesus, Jesus. You know what Satan looked like. You had a temptation right before you started your ministry for those forty days. No, he says, "Get behind me, Satan. He knows exactly what he 's doing. for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. Now, I mentioned to you the temptation that Jesus went through those forty days and and, and Satan approached him. If you look at Matthew chapter four verses eight to ten you, you see here. One of the temptations that that the devil did to Jesus, it says, and again, the devil took him, Jesus, on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, why was he saying that? The temptation was that Jesus would no longer have to walk amongst these people, these suffering people. In fact, some of these, um, shall we say, uh, prosperity gospel preachers, they have a private jet, and they say that the reason that they have the private jet was is because they don't want to have to go through the airport with all the people. That's not Jesus. But that's, that was the temptation. That was the temptation. You don't have to deal with all these broken, messy people that don't want to have anything to do with you. You don't want to have to go to the cross. Because Satan knows his Bible. He knows his his Bible better than we do, and he's wicked smart. I'm not talking about just Boston, right? Wicked smart, man. I mean, he's wicked smart. His intelligence is based on wickedness. And one of the things that we have to recognize here is that this is the exact same temptation that Peter was doing. And he says, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So what happens if God's path for you is pain? If God's path for you is hardship and and suffering? What happens if God is actually leading you through the valley of the shadow of death? When you have those things happen to you, and you realize that God is still with you in the midst of all of that, and that this is not all there is, that one day we're going to be rescued from this, and we are going to be with him, Again, look to the cross. The suffering of Jesus shows that suffering has purpose and sometimes, and it's not going to always be in relation to something bad that somebody did. Because Jesus never sinned, yet he went through that. But why did he go through that? So that he would absorb and take our sin and our brokenness so that he would give us his righteousness And we can't do it on our own. Some of you are are trying so hard to get out of this habit, to get out of this mindset, to get out of this and get out of that, and you just keep falling back, falling back, falling back, falling back. One, you're a human being. It's no excuse, but you're a human being. You're not God. Only one has been able to overcome sin, and that was somebody else's sin. Christ did that for us. But two you've got to look past that and you've got to see what jesus did for you look past your sin past your addiction past your lust past your gluttony past your this past your and look to the cross and see what jesus did for you and as you keep looking at the cross and keep looking at the cross those other things will go away they'll always be lurking because it talks about sin being like a crouching lion raiding to devour. But what do we do? We resist him. Full in the faith, Peter says. Full in the faith. We, we can only resist him by his power, not by ours. We can only resist him because he is the one that gave us that resurrection power, not just when we first were saved, but he gave us that resurrection power all the time. And so he gets the glory. Well, I licked this, and boy, aren't I great. No, you're not, because it might take another week for you to fall back, a month, a year, 10 years. It's always going to be there, but so is Jesus, and he will help you overcome. He's promised to help you overcome the world. He'll be there with you all the way. So these three questions, these these are conversations that Jesus is having with us. Do you see anything? And what are you seeing that's being put right before you where you're like, that's the way to go? No, what he's going to do is come alongside you and show you he's the way to go, trusting in him. Uh, Who do people say that I am? Well, everybody's going to give you their opinions. I don't want opinions. I don't want your opinion. If you're going to give me what you think, give me what you think as far as this is concerned based upon what this book is saying. We don't need opinions anymore. We need truth. Let's deal with truth. Who do you say that Jesus is? If you say with all your heart and and full conviction, he's the Christ, the son of the living God, praise God, but don't say, I'm glad I figured that out. No, you didn't. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven revealed that to you. All glory to God. For him opening up our sorry hides, our hard hearts, and saying, yes, here we go. But there's going to be times, even in our lives, there's going to be times in our lives when we're going to put our minds off the things of God and put our minds on the things of man. And it's a sweet grace when Jesus comes to us and says, get behind me, Satan. Because he didn't just zap us. Get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of men rather than the things of God. Boy, would that would that rattle you? It would rattle me. Praise God. Because now I have an opportunity to confess that. I have an opportunity to repent. And I have an, He's given me another opportunity. How many opportunities do I need? Cats have nine lives, nine opportunities, right? How, how many more do we need? But there he is all the way along our path. He's helping us make sure that we're staying true to him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. So, Father, we come to you today praising you and thanking you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for talking to us and communicating with us, and, and even the rebukes, Father, what a grace, what a mercy that is. And so, Father, if there's anyone here that when they say, when, when you ask them, who, who do you say that I am? And, Lord, you, you, are, you are enlarging their heart and opening their minds. For, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is a mercy and grace you've given to us. May we make that commitment public today confessing and repenting of our sins so that Christ will reign full and free. And may our lives be lives, lives of daily repentance. We don't want anything in there that doesn't belong, but thank you, Lord, that by your Spirit you show us where we are and you take us to where we need to be as we confess and repent by faith. Praise you, Lord. And Father, for those of us that have been lifelong churchgoers, lifelong churchgoers, lifelong Christians, that we, lest we say, I'm, uh, I've got this. I already know where I'm going. I, I, I've got life figured out. We will be drifting to putting our mind on the things of men rather than the things of you. And Father, shine that white hot light on our hearts and give us the strength to repent and give us the strength to follow you every day, every hour, Every minute, every second. And by your grace, Father, if we do sin, thank you for showing it to us. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to repent. Thank you that we can approach the throne of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. You are a great God. And I pray, Father, that you would just instill a joy of your son Jesus in us everywhere. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done. Thank you for talking to us. And Lord, may the conversation we have back to you is, Lord, I repent. Help me, Lord. I confess I trust in you fully and completely. Please save me. May that be the case with some this morning that need it. Don't let them leave without them trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to sing. And one of the reasons that we sing these songs is because